verse 9 and verse 10. Again, to all of our guests, it's so good to see all of you here in the house of the Lord. I guess we do have a youth class. I'm sorry, I did not uh, announce this. So any of our young people, teenagers, if you are left here in the auditorium, you are welcome to go into the youth class at this time. We have Sunday school classrooms and people enjoying the word of the Lord in all of the perimeter area of this building. So while I'm teaching and preaching here, you happen to hear a sudden outburst of some teacher. Uh, Don't be alarmed. In fact, they may hear that from me. I said teaching and preaching. Um, Remember Brother Tenney talking about Treaching, he called it treaching. It's it's kind of a combination of teaching and preaching. I was down in Texas. Of course, uh, I'm from Texas. You probably would never know that. Uh, so I have to inform people of that. But uh, I was down there, and there was a lady came up to me, and she had heard what Brother Tanny had said. But she didn't quite get it right. She said, Brother Grant, that was mighty fine screeching you did this morning. We may screech a little bit, all right? From Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. And the word dissimulation actually means hypocrisy. In other words, let your love be pure. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to look into your word. We do pray, God, your blessings upon this message. May all of our ears be tuned in to you. May our hearts be open to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to preach on the subject, pure love. I guess this was enhanced by radio broadcasts that I heard. I was going down the road listening to the account of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And I very well remember where I was when news came that our president had been assassinated. I was working in Longview, Texas at R.G. Letourneau Incorporation. This is a big plant where they make um, bulldozers and and all-terrain type uh, vehicles for uh, the purpose of of moving dirt, soil, uh, for construction of highways and dams and, and such. I remember sitting in chatting in an office when a man walked through the door and told us that the president had just been shot. And I know when I was listening to the radio broadcast the other day, uh, this came back to my mind. I could remember the very place that I was. I talked with my wife, and I asked her, I said, do you remember where you were? And she said, yes. We lived in a little home out on the Overton Highway right outside of Henderson, Texas. My wife said that she was out near the clothesline hanging some clothes up, and the neighbor had just seen it on television, and she walked over and told her. Most of you can remember exactly where you were uh, 
uh, when the news came to you that the president uh, had been shot. But as I began to listen to this, <clears throat> something came to my mind, and I remember seeing this on a, a television broadcast after uh, the assassination. They showed uh, clips of this. And I remember seeing a Secret Service man when the president went down. The Secret Service man literally ran over and threw his body on top of the president to protect the president, not knowing how badly wounded that he was. You talk about an act of bravery. And this uh, hit the news, and, and uh, people talked about it for a long, long time. Now, the thing that, that is so startling to me about an act of bravery like this is that, that uh, you know, you give up your life to protect the life of someone else, and yet if you are killed in the process of this, uh, then you go into eternity and you absolutely never have a chance. I mean, you never, never, never have a chance to see what you have provided or protected. Uh, so all of the benefits of what you have done is bestowed upon somebody else. They, they just, uh, they enjoy it. They go through life. They may even forget about you. They may forget your name. Uh, maybe the world will forget about you and enjoy uh, the blessings of the survivor. And you may go uh, down in history uh, just as a man who covered the president's body. I, I personally don't know the name of the man who did this. Of course, as it turned out, he did not save his life. Uh, the shot had already entered into uh, President Kennedy's head, gone through his head. Uh, it, it was an incredible thing. But I don't know who the man was that was trying to save his life, and probably none of you know. You may have heard his name during uh, the recent broadcast concerning this, but when you think about it and you think of the act of bravery, I don't know how you could uh, perform a greater service to humanity than to save someone's life. Now, Jesus spoke of this in John 15 when he talked about a new commandment. I'd like you to turn there in your Bibles, if you would. Uh, <clears throat> in verse 9 of John 15, As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Continue, you in my, continue ye in my love. If you love my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So Jesus talks about this. I... I, I, I'm just making this assumption that, that the, the purest form of love, that, at least that I know, is, is, is a love where a man would lay down his life for someone else. In other words, he would uh, offer life to someone at the expense of his own life, laying down his life for someone else. Now, 
at, at Thanksgiving, time of Thanksgiving, you know, our, our mind goes to a lot of different things that we're thankful for. Last Thursday evening in our informal Thanksgiving service, very brief service we have on Thanksgiving evening, it's always a meaningful one. It's power-packed because of the testimonies that are given. Uh, so many people stood, and they just thanked the Lord for so many different things. Last Sunday morning, we had Sunday school in action. The little children stood here on the platform, and they were telling about the things that they were thankful for. Uh, one child said, I'm thankful for bread, uh, thankful for mom and dad, thankful for Sunday school teachers, and down the line. And one even said, I'm thankful for the pastor. Sure made me feel good. Uh, <clears throat> Right down the line, they, they would go, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters. And I mean, they just really went down the line of the things that they were thankful for. One even said he was thankful for money. So I'm thankful for money. Well, I'm thankful for all those things. Uh, and I'm sure that, that your attention has been focused upon so many, many things. But, you know, we live in a, in a time in in our world, in which people are not as thankful as they should be. Uh, Paul talks about the last days, and I really do believe that Jesus Christ could return to this planet Earth any time. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. And Paul said one of the signs of the last days, men shall be unthankful. That means they just simply don't give much thought to to the good deeds that are that are done for them, and the gifts that they receive. Paul, even one time in speaking to the Corinthian church, when in which he, you know he talked about preaching to them without taking any wages from them, he said, "You know, I I did you a service and did myself a disservice." And he went on to say, "He said, now I've created an inferiority in you by doing this because you became very unthankful." And he said, "The thing about it is, the more I loved you, the less I was loved." And it is a, a known fact that. Uh, a lot of people, the more that's done for them, uh, the more ungrateful they, they become. They just, uh, they're just not grateful at all for what has been done for them. You'll find that, that children sometimes take advantage of parents by just feeling that uh, you know parents uh, owe them a lot. In other words, uh, they develop this attitude because all their life they've been recipients of uh, gifts that parents have have bestowed upon them. I think it's nice that parents do this. Uh, it's nice that we do this for each other. But uh, to reach a point in which we just expect some uh, monumental gift, something that is extremely expensive, uh, we can become very spoiled uh, in, our, in our way of life. Uh, Let's always remember to give thanks to the Lord. This is so very important. You know, several years ago, I began to give thought to the soldiers that we have that have given their life for the freedom that we enjoy here in America. I especially gave a lot of thought to this during the Vietnam uh, uh, War. And the reason why is because we had so many conflicting ideas floating around among us. People dodging the draft and going up into Canada uh, people wanting to leave the United States, others laying down their life for our country. And uh, even now, I, I do a lot of listening to talk shows on the radio, and 
it still comes up about Vietnam and and there's people that just hang their head and they're they're talk show hosts that don't even want to talk about it. We prefer not to even talk about it because it's that that uh, period of blight in our society, in our government, in which we we feel there was so much corruption and so much evil uh, that that it'd just be best not to even mention. Let's just put it behind us. Let's forget all about it. Uh, someone just uh, uh, made that statement the other day on the radio. I forget what show that it was. But, uh, uh, you know, I am very, very thankful for our soldiers who have gone overseas to give their life for the freedom that we enjoy here in America. You know, and the thing about it, uh, of course, Sister Grant and I were just in Grenada, and the American soldiers uh, went to Grenada about 10 years ago, and they invaded Grenada and restored freedom there. Grenada was being taken over by some socialistic uh, uh, people. The Americans became heroes to uh, the Grenadian residents. Uh, uh, they wore T-shirts for years down there and printed up T-shirts uh, uh, about America. And when we were down there, uh, it was amazing. Uh, people would do anything uh, for an American because they're so thankful. But you think about war when it hits your hometown, when it hits your own home. Uh, I, I think a lot about the Civil War. I, I, we, here in the States, we, we lost more people in the Civil War than we have all of the wars combined. Over 600,000 soldiers gave their life uh, in the Civil War. That's a lot of people dying. And, of course, uh, you know, th there were issues. Uh, people were fighting for many different reasons, but... But, but for the most part, it was for the uh, freedom of, of, of uh, the slaves, the American slaves. And I know of no crueler form of treatment that you could impose upon a human being than to make a slave out of it. It's, it's the cruelest form of treatment, I think, that the planet Earth has ever had. But, but to think about people laying down their life for you. I mean, they, they, they actually gave their life. That, that you might enjoy freedom. And, and this is what happened during the Civil War. I, I think every person uh, who sits here in this auditorium today that we need to be extremely grateful, not that the war was fought, but, but in that it was fought, that, that uh, liberty and freedom prevailed and, and that we have a free society like we have. Now, this is not a, this is not a political message, but I, I want to point out something. During the, the Vietnam War, I began to give a lot of thought to, to uh, the Bible and, and the teachings of the Bible. And I want to go into some of that. Now, I know that this is going to be a little controversial to some of you, but I just want, to, I want you to follow along with my line of logic. We have a good number of ministers here. Uh, Brother Rutherford is an ordained Bible teacher, uh, a man who is very deep in the Scripture. And I know he sits here listening to me. And, of course, we have Brother John McDonald, who is one of our ministers. We have Brother Carl Yeomans. We have Brother Rick Sutterfield. Uh, we have others here that are in the ministry. I, I appreciate you men. I appreciate you deeply, and I know that this is a controversial issue, but I want to go into it, and I want to go into it for a greater reason than to just express my views relative to... Uh, uh, men who fight for the freedom 
of their country. In Exodus, the 20th chapter, we find that the Ten Commandments were, were given to us. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 11, the Bible says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Uh, this is something that uh, uh, God wanted to stress to Israel uh, always. This is the land I gave you. It's not the land you fought for. It's not the land that you earned. It's the land that I gave to you. Now notice verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> I, re- I remember years ago when my son Steve was just a little little tyke. Uh, he went through this period of time which he was just, I mean, we, we had to really correct him very sternly because he, he developed this attitude. My dad's a pastor here and nobody can tell me what to do. And he, he, then he started telling the adults that. And he'd go into Sunday school class and he'd say, My dad's a pastor and you can't tell me what to do. Well, needless to say, he was very rowdy. So <clears throat> the teacher came up to me and talked with me about it. And we had a little family council at home. And then we met with the teacher. And, and then we met with, with Steve. And I said, Now, Steve, now this has gone far enough. Now, you're not supposed to sass adults. And just really came down on him. Now, don't you do this. Well, <clears throat> next Sunday morning, they were studying the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. And Steve was a tight boy. You know, he couldn't sit still. He was just moving all the time. And you never thought he heard a word that was being said. But somehow he always got it. We were going home, and, of course, uh, we went to church in two cars. The mom was not in the car. I was alone with Steve. I thought I'd take the time to talk to him about how things went in Sunday school. I said, son, how did things go in Sunday school? He said, oh, pretty good. I said, what did you study today? He said, the Ten Commandments. And I said, can you quote the Ten Commandments? Sure. He started quoting them. Thou shalt not kill. Well, first, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt come at, not commit adultery. He stopped and he looked real sternly. And he looked at me and he says, no, I'm not for sure what that means. But he says, I think it means don't sass adults. (laughs) Because I didn't really know how to explain to him what an act of adultery was. And he kind of left me speechless. I thought that would be in his best interest if I just leave it like it was. <laughs> now, what I wanted to point out to you about the Ten Commandments is this. The Lord said, Thou shalt not kill. But in looking at this scripture, I have come to a, a, an understanding that... that uh, when God says, Thou shalt not kill, that there were some exceptions to the rule. Now, if you will turn to Exodus 21, verse 12, the Bible says, He that smiteth a man so that he die, he shall surely 
he shall be surely put to death. Now, what the Lord is saying is that, see, this business of capital punishment, I, I, now please understand, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm endorsing capital punishment today or I disagree with capital punishment. I'm using a line of logic in the Old Testament Scripture, all right? Okay, the, the Bible says, <clears throat> if you smite a man to put him to death, then it is the responsibility of the civil government to put this man to death. Now, if God says, Thou shall not kill, period, then the man that's putting the individual to death for killing is equally as guilty. You follow what I'm saying? So obviously, when you look at the Ten Commandments, that you have to draw a conclusion, and that is that when the Bible says, Thou shall not kill, it is basically speaking about murder. Now, I go a step further to explain something. You will also find that right after the Ten Commandments were given, the Lord told Israel, we want you to go out and slay all the Canaanites that are in the land. Now, I know that some of the anti-Bible-believing, agnostic-type people of our present day, when they, they look at the Old Testament, they say, well, what about all the bloodthirsty Christians of the Old Testament? Of course, they were not called Christians then because Christ had not been born. But because that they do not have a, a good understanding of what the Scripture is teaching, this is the, the attitude that they develop. Now, God wanted Israel to promote the true teaching of Himself to the planet Earth. Israel was to be the force behind the truth that would eventually reach to the four corners of the earth. And so as a result, God gave them this land and gave them permission to drive all the Canaanites out of the land. Now the problem is that they did not do this. They, they, uh, they went into uh, the promised land, which is now uh, Israel. They went there. And they drove some out, and some they did not drive out. God gave them great victories. Now, <clears throat> the point is that it seems strange to me that God would say, Thou shalt not uh, kill, and then turn around and tell them to go out and kill all the Canaanites. Now, <clears throat> there has to be then an exception to the rule. Now, I could go a lot deeper into this this line of logic, and I, 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 I trust that you understand that I'm limited in time today, and, and my whole point is, is to prove something a little bit deeper and more profound in the Scripture in Christ's relationship with His church today. But there had to be an exception to the rule. In other words, murder is always committed for selfish purposes and selfish motives. If a, if a man uh, uh, has a grudge against someone... And he can't get over this, and he he keeps conjuring up things in his mind. He lets his imagination run wild. Uh, he possibly could pick up a gun and go uh, to uh, the individual's home or to a place where he knows the man is and pull the trigger and end the man's life. Now, when this happened in the Old Testament, and of course capital punishment did not start with the Mosaic Law. It started immediately after the flood. Now, when Cain killed his brother in, in, 
in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, the Bible says, now don't touch Cain. This is what God said. Vengeance belongeth to me. And, and, and the Bible says that the Lord says, if, if you go after Cain, I'm going to go after you. So leave him alone. God put a mark upon him as punishment. But after the flood, not so. God told Noah, now if a man takes another man's life, then his life shall be required of him. And then, of course, we know that when we read uh, Exodus 21, that, that what they're saying is that, that the punishment uh, should be equal to the crime. And so if a man uh, gives his life, or if a man rather loses his life, then, then the person who has taken advantage of this man, then, then he's going to lose his life. But, but you have to keep in mind that, that even though murder is for selfish reasons, that, that the defense of one's country and the safety and protection of another is, is not done for selfish reasons. It's done in the best interest of, of, of innocent people and the best interest of freedom. This is the reason why I have a hard time uh, not honoring our soldiers who go overseas and, and fight for the liberty and freedom of the United States of America. Whether I agree or disagree with what's going on, my hat is off to any man who would go overseas and defend our country. Not only that, and I know that uh, uh, our organization, the United Pentecostal Church, allows our men to go in as COs, that is conscientious objectors. If they do not want to bear arms, uh, they can go in, they can perform uh, duties for others. I, I've known of people who have uh, been so uh, strongly against bearing arms that they felt that everybody that was bearing arms were out on the, the battlefield murdering. And, and they looked at uh, murderers who are doing this as, as heathens that, that will burn forever in hell. For just for doing that. Now let me just point out something here that, that, that I feel I want you to listen to, to me. Uh, uh, and and I, I'm certainly willing to, to discuss this with, any time, with anyone at any time with great length. Because there's a lot in the Bible about it. But, but listen to me very carefully. Very, very carefully. I want you to hear this. Now, let's say that I'm a man that I feel that I should not bear arms or I should not uh, in, in any way defend my country. But, but I have never known of a Christian that did not appreciate the liberty to practice religion the way he wants to practice it here in America. I've never known one that didn't. So, as a result, though, I'm so pure and I'm so holy that I will not defend my country because I want to be saved, yet I will tell all of these parents that have all these heathen children, send your heathen children out and let them be blown into hell, so to speak, so that I can be pure and holy. To me, that is very selfish. Now, you may see, you may see it differently, but, but to me, this is very selfish. And I'll say this, I think one of the greatest honors that could ever be bestowed, bestowed upon a man is to defend the liberty and freedom of his country. Now let me go one step further and say this. Also, I appreciate so very, very much our policemen that walk our streets and, and give us safety and protection. We have a policeman here in our congregation. I don't know if Brother Martin is here, but I will say this, for a man to go out every day and risk his life to make sure that my life is peaceful, 
my hat's off to that man. And, and I personally feel that anyone who would take the life of a police officer, that the crime should, uh, the punishment for the crime should be greater than taking an average citizen's life. Because he is killed in the line of duty. Now, the thing that I want to point out is this. But when you, when you take a look at this, the, the larger scale of this, now you take a young man, here's an 18-year-old that's out fighting for the liberty and freedom of the United States of America, and all of a sudden he gives his life. He ends his life early. He's blown asunder. His parents are grief-stricken. He's placed in his grave. He'll never walk on the face of this earth again. I mean, never, never, never. That simply means that what he fought to defend and what he fought to secure for survivors, you and me, he never, he never will. Let me stress it again. He never, never, never will enjoy that freedom himself. It's all over for him. So when you think about what this man is doing, when this man gives his life for what you are enjoying. My friend, when days come around in which we honor our American soldiers and also policemen and various other people who ensure safety and freedom for us, our hats should go off and there should be prayers that go up to Almighty God in thanksgiving that they have made this land what it is. Now, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. And I think that's what was happening in the Old Testament. And that is, when a man put someone else to death, it became the responsibility of someone to put that man to death. But it was not for selfish reasons. You see, there are certain, even the certain emotions, uh, uh, certain aspects of, uh, of our disposition and everything that, that are so, so closely related. I have been told, and of course the studies that I've made since I was a child in the area of psychology, that there's not much difference between uh, love and hate. Uh, not, not much, but uh, I'm not for sure that I believe that. But, but I will say this, that there are, there are, there are certain levels of hate in, in which... Uh, it is associated with good and certain levels of hate that's associated uh, with bad. In, in the Bible, the Bible speaks of indignation, which is righteous anger. And that is that it, it's all right to hate something with a passion if you're hating things that are wrong and things that are evil. Now, I didn't say people. I said things. You follow what I'm saying? And we have a, we have a hard time uh, disassociating the two. We have a hard time dissecting. We have a hard time choosing between the two. You see, it's the offense, not the offender. It's the sin, not the sinner. But we have a hard time with that. And so there's not much difference between righteous anger and the anger that, 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 that you find people have for, for each other. 
But you can, you can be exceptionally hard against Satan and hard against sin. And preachers can stand behind pulpits and preach, preach their heart out against the sin of this world. And this is what the Bible tells us that we need to do. And yet at the same time, love people with all of their heart. I think if you look at the life of Jesus, you find that Jesus Christ did exactly that. Now see, there's a vast difference between pride and dignity, even though they're closely associated. Now, the difference is that pride calls attention to oneself, while dignity calls attention to a cause or a purpose. Now, you follow what I'm saying? And there's a difference in killing. And that is that some killing is done for selfish reasons. Other killing is done as a responsibility. As a responsibility to the human race. Now, I'm just telling you, that's the way it was in the Old Testament. I'm just going to be totally quiet on the New Testament. And that may leave a lot of you hanging, but I don't want you to let that overshadow the rest of the message. Now, what Jesus said, he said, No greater love has any man shown than the love that a man would have to lay down his life for his friends. In other words, would you give up your life for your friend? Would you, would, would, would you be so pure... In, in, in your love for a friend, that you'd give up your life, your life for a friend? But, but let, me, let me talk to you a little bit about Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, and if you will turn there with me, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, and what I'd like to do is, just read a few scriptures. Uh, verse 9, we'll start. Uh, let's read verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the frowardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for our sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, when I think of this, I think of a, a person who's leaving uh, his estate behind, maybe, let's say, to his children. Or, let's put it this way, let's say if I didn't have any children, I was a very wealthy man, I put it in my will that Brother Ted, when I die... And his beautiful wife, Carla, will receive everything I have. All right? Now, I'm a very wealthy man. Let's pretend now. You've got to use your imagination, you know. <clears throat> okay? All right? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I don't know that they'd be looking forward to me dying or not. <clears throat> if I loved them that much that I'd leave everything and they love me, they'd probably want me to live. But in the backside of their mind, they know that my death will bring... Even though it will bring a lot of sadness, it will also bring a measurable amount of joy. And so when they place me in the grave, a few months later, when the estates finally settle, 
millions of dollars flow their way. Now, these people are going to become rich as a result of my riches. But it was not that way with Jesus Christ. This is the way it was with Jesus. When Jesus was born, he was rich. But what he said was, I will lay down all my riches now. That would be like me taking all the money I had and I came up to Ted and Carla and I said, I don't want to wait until I die. What I want to do, I want to trade places with you. You have lived a very meager life. You have lived in poverty. Now, these people are not living in poverty, but I'm just saying, you know, using this uh, example. You have never known what it's like to drive an automobile like I drive. You've never known what it's like to live in a home like I live in. And what I want to do, I want to trade places with you. What are you going to do, Pastor Grant? I'm going to take everything I have and give it to you. You go move in my home. You drive my car. Here's my checking account. Here's my savings account. You can have it all. Well, what are you going to do? Well, the foxes have their holes, and the birds have their nest, but the Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. Now, that was the situation with Jesus Christ. And he walked 33 and a half years on this planet Earth living like a bum, so to speak. Now, I didn't say he went bumming around. <clears throat> there is a difference, you know. The Bible says he went about doing good. A lot of people just go about. <clears throat> but now when you think of what the Scripture is teaching us, for our sakes, the Bible says, he became poor. For our sakes, he lived the way that he lived. For our sakes, he was born and placed in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. He had you in mind, Brother Blake. He had me in mind when he did this. He was doing it for me. And he lived his whole life on this planet Earth for the benefit of others. You talk about unselfish. Now, we want to read a little bit further because the story does not stop there. In verse 10, And herein have I give my advice... For this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness of will, so there may be a readiness also out of that which ye have. And basically what he's saying is, he's saying, are, are you willing then to take of your abundance and give to others? Now the thing the thing about it is and and this is the this this is the amazing thing about Jesus Christ when he talked about laying down his life for his friends in Romans the 5th chapter the Bible says 
For while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Now, we're not talking about a man who would lay down his life for his friends. He was talking about the disciples at that time. But Jesus Christ not only died for those men who were his bosom buddies, but Jesus Christ died for the whole world. Those who loved him, admired him, and respected him, but those who despised him and hated him. Now, out of responsibility's sake, here's a man who has taken an oath and will cover his, the body of the president and lose his own life. And here's a soldier that will go out and lose his life on the battlefield for a country that he loves. But what about a man who would give his life for people that hated him? despised him, rejected him for people who cried out, crucify him. That's the kind of Savior that we serve today. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Thank you, God. Oh, hallelujah. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope in the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the godly? No, the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. For, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man Man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To go out and give your life for a country in which you know that you have a lot of supporters and backers, family, friends, is indeed a brave, a brave thing. And I don't know how I could properly thank men who have given their life for the freedom that I enjoy here in the United States of America. Listen, I've traveled throughout the world, and there's no place like this to live. I can just tell you, there's no place like this to live. But somebody paid the price for it. But I want to go a step further. I haven't always been in the Pentecostal church. 
And there was a time in which I would have given my right arm to be something other than Pentecostal. I've got to tell you this. When my wife and I were married, she was not a member of the Pentecostal church. My mother was. My dad was not at the time. I did everything I possibly could to find something else in the Bible. I just did not want to be Pentecostal. And I know what it's like to go to bed at night and hear your mother crying and weeping over your soul. And I know what it's like to just clench your teeth together and say under your breath, I wish you'd shut that up. I don't want her praying like that for me. But little did I know that she was sacrificing for me. She was sacrificing for me. You know, we have teenagers in this church. Their parents have fought all hell almost to keep them in the church and keep them saved. Because there's all kinds of battles going on in the spirit world to win their soul to the powers of darkness. Some of these young people don't care. Let them get their own little children nestled around them at night and they begin to change their mind about it all. Isn't that true? You see them, how they change their mind. But then a greater mystery than this mysterious love that can overshadow a man that will cause him to cover the body of a president or go out on a battlefield knowing that he is fighting for something that he will perhaps never enjoy and never even know the meaning of freedom himself is the mystery involved in the love of God who for an enemy's sake a sinner would lay down his life I cannot comprehend it I can't understand it I remember reading years ago a story of a man who was the operator of a railroad trestle going across a big big wide river this man, his sole responsibility is to make sure that the railroad track is always down and locked in place when the train comes across. When the ships go underneath, it's his responsibility to make sure that the trestle is raised. The ships pass safely. That's his sole responsibility. And one day, his son wanted to go with him. And he granted permission and so, hour after hour after hour, his son watched his father just let down the trestle, raise a trestle, let the ships come by. Let it down, lock it in place, let the train come. Then all of a sudden, without giving much thought, the man seeing that he had a few hours between, he took a little doze. And then when he woke up, he realized it's time for me to let down the trestle now. He had not let it down. And he looked around. His son was not there. He didn't know what to do. And when he began to look all around the bottom of the, uh, of the tower where the gearboxes were and everything, he saw his son climbing on top of these big gears. Well, put his head out the window window, and 
he screamed down to his son, Come up here. He, he didn't hear. He was busy playing. It's an industrialized area and couldn't hear. And all of a sudden, panic struck the heart of this man when he realized, I've got to let down this trestle because there is a passenger train that's coming through here loaded with people. And he didn't have enough time to go down himself. Didn't know what to do. So he screamed at some nearby men, but he couldn't get anyone's attention. And all of a sudden he saw the smoke coming out of the stack. He knew now something, a decision has to be made. And here this man, as he looked down at his son, playing on these, in panic, screaming to him, the train was getting closer and closer and closer. He had to make a decision. What will I do? I don't have enough time to rescue. I don't. What would you do? Well, the temptation is save your own kid. But all of a sudden, he saw the train in his mind going into the river. And he saw hundreds of little babies and little boys like his in this pileup. He closed his eyes and put his hand on the lever and let it down. He heard the scream and cry of his son below. He opened his eyes, and as usual, when everybody passed, they were waving out the windows at the man who locked the trestle. But little did they know that blood was being poured on the ground from an innocent child. This is very similar, you know, to what happened at Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Listen, while we're sitting in the house of God today smiling and waving, remember, blood was poured on the ground. Suffering took place. We're enjoying what we're enjoying because it was pure love that flowed from the throne of God. Because God saw us all in a pile of rubble in hell and spared not His own flesh, His own Son on Calvary's cross. Would you stand with me? For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in 
that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On this Thanksgiving weekend, I want you to spend time thanking the Lord for the liberty that you feel in the Spirit here today. There is such a thing as walking through your life, your tenure here, and enjoying freedom in the flesh, but not ever knowing freedom in the Spirit. The Bible says, He that hath been set free by the Son, he is free indeed. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We're going to give you a chance to come and surrender your life to the Lord this morning. I would not dare close this service without asking you to come. If we have one person that's never made peace with God, if you have never been born of water and of spirit, you can come today. The first thing you do, you come repenting of your sins. The Bible speaks of that. We need to repent of our sins. This is when we humble or submit ourselves to God. After that, then we are commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins. And then we have the promise of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Who'd like to be the first one to come and pray today? Our praise singers will sing at this time. And we'd like for you to step out and come and surrender your life to the Lord. Come on. Or three of you brothers come and pray. Oh, would you? He loves come on. Would somebody else like to come and surrender their heart to the Lord? Come on, right now. How much more?